my name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Shane Malloy, host at Hockey Prospect Radio and author of The Art of Scouting. Having worked in media for a number of years, Shane also took it upon himself to learn more about the scouting industry and to have his own team experiences as well. As shown in the book, he is a student of the game and he has earned the trust of many hockey executives due to his drive and overall understanding of both the game and those within it. With that, I am happy to present Shane Malloy, host at Hockey Prospect Radio and author of The Art of Scouting. Fans within the game of hockey love to see the finesse, the deking, and just the overall play of the athletes, and some fans like the rough stuff. And this weekend's UFC 261 is sure to be a can't-miss event. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. You just pick 6 fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Shane Malloy, host of Hockey Prospect Radio and author of The Art of Scouting. Shane, thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you on. And I know many listeners have heard you, whether it's on your radio show or or read your work and or just seen you in the various capacities that you've held over the years. So it'll be fun to really dive into your career here and, and kind of dissect some of those positions and, and get to learn a little bit more about you as well. Sure, absolutely. All right, so let's just start um, maybe getting to know you personally, maybe talk about your upbringing, playing sports in your early years, and just give a little bit of background information of uh, you as an individual. Sure. When I was younger, um, my mom and I moved around a little bit, um, born in Edmonton, uh, but most of my youth was, uh, I grew up in Vernon. So Vernon's my home, what I consider my hometown, uh, Vernon, BC. So I actually lived not far down the street from um, the Holland family. So, you know, Ken Holland, um, GM of the Edmonton Oilers and his younger brother, Dennis, who's a scout for the Dallas Stars. So Dennis is only about a year and a half older than me. So I actually would go out and play shinny against uh, him and Troy Mick and they just tear us apart. They were unbelievable. So basically I was the token pylon defenseman. So about five foot 10, not particularly fast. Um, my best skills were putting it off the glass and penalty killing. And just being an irritating a a hole, basically, as a defenseman. You know, not big, not fast, but you know, get your nose in there and 
don't take any grief from anybody. So that was pretty much it. I, I fell in love with hockey um, pretty early on from my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather was a really important part of my life um, after my father had passed away when I was a baby. And so he was the one who like helped me really have the love for hockey. And as you can probably see behind me, the Oilers jersey, I have that in a frame. Uh, he took me to my first Oilers game in 1979 against the Winnipeg Jets. Oilers that beat them seven to two and he had bought me a little Wayne Gretzky jersey. So I have had kept that the whole time. I mean, I can't get my melon head through that hole <laughs> anymore. So it now it just it's it's behind me um in my office. So and then um and funny enough about my grandfather, um, one of his favorite players was Emil Francis, the cat, who had played for the New York Rangers for a long time, was a coach and GM for them for a long time, as well as Hartford and St. Louis. Great man. We had him on our radio show. And I happened to mention that my that was one of my grandfather. You were one of my grandfather's favorite players. So we got a hold of Russ Cohen, who was my co-host at the time on Hockey Prospect Radio, and um, he had sent me his Hall of Fame monogram and a picture of him out of his library of him playing with open face mask. Signed them both and sent them to me. And that's right behind me over my head. My wife had put it into a frame for me at uh, for Christmas. So um, been pretty lucky it's been a love affair of of hockey and when i lived in edmonton briefly i was out playing street hockey with my friends and a car stopped and a couple guys got out and started playing road hockey with us and it was grant fuhr and pat hughes wow so grant like and it was like 1983 so i was 11 grant must wouldn't, wouldn't have been any more than maybe 21 at the time just a kid, him and Pat were, they were just kids and they just came out and played road hockey and I was in net and I refused to let him score on me. I was so competitive, but he was like, at that day, I was just like, Grant Fuhr became my favorite player. I just like, I just, he was, the, far as I concerned, I was just God smacked by him. Um, and it was funny enough, I happened to talk to him at the Hockey Hall of Fame induction. They do um, some charity games and I happened to see him in the hotel lobby and I went over and spoke to him and just told him how much that really meant to me. And, um, you know, he was my favorite player growing up. And that's what really spurred me on to be, you know, to stay in hockey and, and love it as long as I could. And I stopped playing at about age 13. It just became really too expensive. Um, my mom did her best, but it was a, she was a single mom and um, she was disabled and really sick. And so I just got a part time job. And instead of playing hockey, I went into rugby, which isn't considering my size, I'm five foot 10. Um, you know, now I'm 200 pounds. Cause you know, you're getting old and fat, but you know, I wasn't very big, but you know, it was the, the, the sport that I love playing that, you know, didn't require a lot of, um, a lot of money. You just need cleats and, you know, and get out there and be willing to get your head smacked in a few times. Yeah, for sure. No, but it, it's great to hear that you, uh, you know, were able to, uh, to get involved in the game early on and even from a fan perspective and, uh, I don't think there's many people that can say one of the best goaltenders, you know, of his generation was able to, to kind of test was, you in that as it's well. Crazy. Like, yeah. It's a surreal story, really. Yeah, very fortunate. And, and the, it, those are the kind of things that, you know, sometimes players, yeah, I think some of the most of them realize it, but sometimes they may not understand the impact that has on a kid, right? And how that stays yeah. with you, right? And that just, that's, that's that burning passion, right? If somebody was so good to you, um, for no reason, just to be good to you. Um, and that pushes you forward, you know, that you, that's sort of, you sort of keep that, you know, 
um, with you as you move forward as it's sort of like my crazy career is kind of like, you know, has gone on. Um, yeah. that's a, that's a real big thing for me. I always remember that in the back of my mind. Definitely. And then you use that fandom and, and kind of make the next steps to making it a career. And you took some different routes in school and one of the programs that you actually uh, were able to enroll in at, at one point or another was the Athabasca hockey program. Just talk about what you learned there and maybe some of the other things that you did uh, from a school perspective. Well, I had started off originally, I went to school for commercial diving, hard hat diving, which is, you know, completely different. Um, And then when I couldn't do that anymore, after um, a couple injuries, um, I had went back to school for commerce. So I took a degree in commerce and entrepreneurial management business degree. And then I saw this program come up um, because I know Brian Burke very well. And I saw it come up. I'm like, oh, I'm really interested in this. And then I had to like convince my wife that this was a really good thing to do. Um, she's super supportive. I'm very fortunate. Um, she lets me do these crazy things. So I took the program. Um, you know, I'm really happy I took it. I, I met some fantastic people, uh, great professors in my hockey program. I had some really great professors in the you know the MBA part, but the six you know six class program of the designation. Um, you know, Dr. Rodney Paul um, has been great to me, um, you know, and then I had, uh, you know, a couple other really great professors in there as well as Bob Liljenwall and Mark Fraser. Um, they both teach at um, UCLA. Um, so N- Dr. Normal Riley, who now is at Guelph University. I mean, just great professors and fantastic classmates. We had a really small cohort. Like we only had six in our class. Um, and in all honesty, I have to give a lot of credit to a, a classmate of mine. Um, I think Kerry McGowan is arguably one of the smartest people that I know, and he was my classmate. And he just took the class; he just took the program just to take the program. So he owns like seven different companies. Um, he's a huge hockey fanatic. Um, he's a part owner of the Nations Network, so Oilers Nations, Flames Nations. So, but one of the smartest guys I know in terms of like business and entrepreneurial and um, asset management and really understanding value. So I learned a lot from a lot of people. And although the program is, you know, fairly expensive, it was definitely well worth it. Yeah. It's almost a self-investment there. And and yeah, definitely, uh, you know, sometimes you got to kind of eat the bank account a little bit, but you know, you can kind of use that then to, to take some more steps and, the next one I want to go into uh, is an early position as a consultant with the St. Louis Blues. Kind of a little bit of a different role there, but maybe just talk about how you found yourself in that position and briefly what the role entailed. Well, it's, we, I mean, even started from the beginning, um, how I got into the industry is kind of a weird, um, everybody's a fallback job. Some people work as a bartender. Some people work as waiters, waitresses. Uh, I worked in the casino industry, so I was in the high limit room. And there was two people on my table. One was a former scout of Winnipeg Jets and the um, Quebec Nordiques, and who eventually went on to buy um, the Belfast Giants. Um, and there was another guy who had a bunch of websites. It was late 90s, like 97, 98. And we were just on the table talking about hockey. And he goes, you seem to know quite a bit about hockey. Do you want to write for me? I'm like, okay. Right? And it was just random stuff, like just about, you know, NHL stuff, just whatever my thoughts were. And I did that for like a little while and just like for free, just for fun. And um, worked for some, did some other stuff with other websites like Hockey Future and stuff. And then eventually I got hired by um, Fox Sports to do prospect, like 
information and and articles and i had a bunch of people like i got a bunch of other writers to work with me on it and that's how that sort of like rolled out and um when you're in that industry you deal with a lot of the pr staff so to get back to your question about st louis i knew you know i knew a bunch of people worked for the blues and one of the pr guys called me up and said hey shane um do you have any like connections in russia we're having a hard time finding like the real stats of our players and other players and background information right it's you know it was a bit of a closed loop and this was i don't have to remind myself this might have been 15 years ago maybe more i can't even remember when that was i'm actually gonna have to look it up because i just want to try to be accurate of when (laughs) i was there um no, I can't remember, but it must have been in the mid '90s, late '90s, maybe in the early. I can't remember. So uh, the PR guy got a hold of me, um, you know, and Larry was looking for this. Larry Plows, the GM at the time, was looking for this information. I said, "Yeah, I have a lot of connections in Russia. Um, obviously, going to tournaments and meeting different media guys and you know different people within the industry. So behind the scenes, I would collect all their stats and background information on players, and then I just." send that over to the St. Louis blues. And that's what I did for the year. Wasn't nothing exciting or sexy. Just, I had the connections to get re- the, re- the proper information because sometimes in Russia, especially, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, things were collected, but they were kind of thrown into a box. There wasn't really any kind of like database systems like we have yeah. now. We're very fortunate. So like, I'd actually have to like, email people and find out okay what really happened in that game or that you know what happened like what happened this week or this month so that was that was basically the job yeah i I mean it's it's still an entry point and and building that relationship obviously and like you said back uh you know a number of years ago in russia you weren't getting the information as clearly as today you know you can go on twitter today and uh you know there's a number of people with with a quick tweet that can probably get you that information and and send it via dm but um, you know, a lot of digging back then and, and just trying to get that information. But it was always interesting to see kind of how the connection uh, came about and, and how you found yourself in that position regardless. Yeah. And that's one thing I'll say is for the young people out there who want to get into the industry, network is the one of the most important things. You have to have a really strong network. And the only way to build that is you actually have to talk to people personally, like you have to go to the rinks. You have to introduce yourself. You can't be afraid. You don't have to be intrusive, but, you know, to introduce yourself and, and start building a relationship that way of like, you know, explain what you, what you're interested in, what you like to do. Um, Cause the pe- people in the industry are much more helpful than you realize. Um, and more than happy if you have really strong work ethic and they see you at the rink, they may not help you right away. They just want to see that you have that work ethic and that drive um, and the passion and the commitment. And then people will help you, which is, you know, it's, that's one part of the industry that uh, I'm really proud to say, like the people are great and I've had so much help. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, as we talk about some of these positions, we'll keep going here. And the next one I want to talk about is your role as color commentator for the Surrey Eagles in the BCHL. Uh, again, what, what was the process of kind of joining that position and how did you enjoy your time with that league? Uh, well, it was actually kind of funny. I um, I went to BCIT needed somebody to take interns for their broadcast journalism department. And I had credentials to um, the Vancouver Canucks. Um, and they would allow me to bring in the interns every, you know, a few games. So uh, one of my interns got the job as the play-by-play for the Surrey Eagles. And they wanted they wanted to have a color guy. 
because uh, he was a rookie. Um, so I said, I'll do it. I'm more than happy to do it. I've done it a few times before. I'm like, I'm sure we'll be fine. We'll just like, you know, template it out and we'll be good. So his name was Colin Tigelar. And uh, yeah, we started doing color for the Surrey Eagles and they made the run all the way to the, won the championships of the BCHL and then went to the, uh, to the Doyle cup uh, against, I think it was Camrose. If I remember correctly, great team um, full of characters, like the bad news bears of hockey. Um, and we had a great time. Um, and that sort of led into some other opportunities of doing color commentating as well. Yeah. And, you know, obviously radio and just being on the mic is, is very much a part of your career. And, We'll kind of loop in some of these positions together. Maybe you can do a general overview of your time in the industry. But, you know, you're working in roles as a prospect analyst or uh, analytics analyst, things like that with, you know, lists as Fox, NHL, TSN, Rogers, you know, it's, it's quite extensive. Just walk us through that, that time in those organizations and just the, the overall experience of being able to essentially talk hockey, um, you know, with some of the biggest brands that are on TV and radio. Well, one of the things when, you know, when I started covering prospects, like in 2000, no one cared about prospects, like nobody, like draft schmaff, like honestly, prospects were irrelevant in the grand scheme of the media, right? There was only the, like these weird people on, in the internet with like, with like these small little websites talking about prospects, no one cared, like honestly, nobody cared. So it took a while to like sort of get things rolling. And thankfully, Scott Wilson, who was the producer at Fox Sports, really wanted to like, because they did a lot of base, baseball prospects and, you know, they had college football, but no one really talked about who were the next stars. So um, I, the way I got a lot of my jobs is a friend of mine, Peter Lenavalli from Finland, um, who was my kind of like almost my next door neighbor when I was living in Calgary, he gave me the um, NHL media guide. And because I didn't have one, so it get, it basically you had all the emails and all the phone numbers of every network, everywhere, and the contact names. So I would like literally email all these people, and like I'd look up their at their websites, and I'd try to figure out okay where are their holes. I only I want to just focus on prospects. That's the thing I really love, and I would just send them a pitch, and I keep sending them and sending them and sending them until somebody bit, and it was Fox Sports. And that was the entry point. When you're working for a big network like that, it just gives you sort of like this automatic like prestige to a degree. And like it gives you an entry point. So that, you know, allows me to have credentials to any league in hockey. And then when you can get into any league, that opens up the door. And once you're in there, that's where you can start establishing all those relationships with players, coaches, executives, you know, other media members. It um, it made a huge, huge difference. And, you know, that's when I started covering my first draft was in 2000. Like this year will be my second, 22nd NHL draft. So from there, from Fox Sports, nobody was really talking about prospects on NHL.com. So my co-host, um, Russ Cohn and I, uh, when we started Hockey Prospect Radio, that's a whole nother story. I should tell you about that. Sir XM comes into existence and I'm like, I, I call up Russ because we were doing some like, it wasn't even called podcasting. It was called internet radio, right? Like that's how long ago we started. It was like 2002, 2003, 2004. We just get on and do internet radio. And we would do some stuff for the NHL, like for different um, events, like uh, car collectible, like events and things like that. So we do that stuff for the NHL. 
Um, and we, we do a little show on prospects and XM came into existence. So I said, Hey, you know, Russ, we should do a show on prospects and see if we can get it on XM. Just completely and utterly naive. Neither one of us like had worked in a radio station before we just like got on the, like just recorded us talking. That was it. Like it was just so naive. So we got a hold of people we knew at the NHL and said, Hey, do you know the program director? And they gave us his contact um, information. Um, and we got a hold of him and we said, Hey, this is our idea. We pitched it to him. And um, he said, okay, well um, I want to hear a demo, but you got to come in the studio. And it's uh, the gentleman's name is Joe Thistle. So Russ Cohen drives from New Jersey to Toronto. I'm living in Vancouver at the time. He gets into the studio, goes to the bathroom, gets a drink of water. A buddy of ours named Gus Katsaros. I don't know if you know him. Gus is awesome. He comes. He's living in Toronto. He comes down to be a guest. They call me on the phone in the studio. We get into. We 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 do 20 minutes. So Russ drives for like six hours to get there. We do 20 minutes. Joe listens. He goes, I like it. Okay, you guys have a show. You got two weeks. Be ready in two weeks. We've never done a radio show in our lives. Ever. Not a, not a real one. So, like, I didn't know how to host because I was going to the one that was going to be in the studio. So, I basically listened to other radio stations and took notes for two weeks. Like, intros, outros, everything. I just made all these scripts myself just listening to other people in the Vancouver market. Um, called up uh, people that I knew at CKNW as a local radio station. And they let me, um, we did a contra deal. I could, I would go on their radio show and talk about hockey. Um, and then I could use one of their edit studios to record our show. So I get into the edit studio the day we're supposed to record our first show. I don't know how to run a board. No idea. I have no idea how to run an ops board. I get one of the engineers to come in. I went in an hour early. He gave me like a 30 minute tutorial. Okay, this, what do you need to do? And I told him, goes, okay, this is what you need to do. You don't have to do any more than this. And he showed me how to do it. And then I just cut, like edited it up and he showed me the editing software. And that was it. Like I had no idea. Like I'd never, didn't go to broadcast school, didn't go to journalism school, nothing. Just figured it out as we went. And that's how it came into fruition. And from that show, um, that's how we got in touch with uh, Phil Coffey, who was the the head of NHL.com. And they wanted to do prospect content. So he said, well, like, would you and Russ be interested in doing like a feature article a week, like 800 words? And I said, sure, let's do that. So we did that for a couple of years. And then uh, when Phil left, they brought in like full-time guys. So that's Mike Morali and Adam Kimmelman took over for Russ and I. And then from that job, that's how I got into TSN and Sportsnet. So the only reason I got in with TSN, love Bob McKenzie. Bob's been so good to me. Um, Bob put in a word for me. I said there was nobody really doing any prospect stuff. So that's how I, I got that job. Um, for the year was just writing about prospects. And and then from that, um, Sportsnet really didn't have anybody either. So the next year I sort of did that for a year. So it's just um, somebody gives you an opportunity, somebody goes to bat for you, and you just do your best not to let them down and embarrass them. You know, and you go in there and do the best job you can. 
Yeah, it's pretty crazy how one initial opportunity can kind of snowball and, and next it's like almost like a roadmap, even though you don't really plan it out. It's still Oh no, there was no you know. plan. You know, like you know the like I don't know if you ever saw the Road War uh, no, it was um Thunderdome, Mad Max. Yeah. They're going down the tracks and they, they Max leans in and he goes, What's the plan? Plan, there's no plan, right? It was just like it was like, Oh, there's an opportunity available. Or maybe there's an opportunity there and you just knock on the door and you keep knocking on the door until somebody lets you in. You know, yeah. they, like I've been told no so many times I've forgotten how many times, but every once in a while you get a yes. And that's, that's all you can do. You know, you yeah. just keep knocking on doors till you get in there. Yeah. I think a lot of people maybe are a little discouraged when you get one or two no's, but you got to really dig in. Like you said, going through the media you're guide gonna get, and you're gonna who knows how many emails were sent. <laughs> Oh, hundreds. And it's okay. No's are fine, you know, because um, sometimes they give you like a reason why, you know, or they yeah. just say no. And it's okay. It's okay to be told no. I mean, majority of life, you're going to be told no. So that's okay. You just don't worry about it. You're like, okay. And you move on to the next one. You know, you yeah. keep pressing send until somebody says yes. Yeah. Event- eventually, somebody's going to say yes, especially if you're sending that many and um, another opportunity we'll go into here is a consultant role actually with Hockey Canada this time. Uh, just talk about maybe how that opportunity came up and, and the experience of working for Hockey Canada. That was actually funny enough. It was just that um, I wanted to learn more about scouting. Um, when I first started writing about prospects for Fox Sports, um, at the time, Craig Button was the GM, who's an awesome guy, uh, was a GM in Calgary at the time. So I was talking about prospects and he said, well, the best thing you could do is learn how to scout. I'm like, how do I do that? I don't know how to scout. Like there's no book on scouting. There's no manual. There's no school. So he gave me a basic template and off I went to junior games. So I'd go to Hitman games and I could travel all over the place the best I could um, get in my car and drive and drive home late at night. And, um, and I'd see this other scouts in, you know, the media scouts room and I'd like talk to them and, one day I was talking to a couple scouts and it was um, Lauren Davies, who's now passed on. He, he used to scout for the Edmonton Oilers and Patty Janelle, longtime scout for the St. Louis Blues, longtime coach. And Patty just say, come sit beside me, kid. And I'd go sit beside him. And in between whistles and stuff, we talk about stuff and he point things out to me and I ask him questions. And that's how I learned. I learned from the other scouts. Um, and I was very, very fortunate. Like they didn't have to help me, but I was really eager Right. Because I said, I'm writing about these guys. I don't want to like I want it to be as accurate as I can. I want to have an understanding of like where they're coming from and, and what you guys see so that I can properly you know, explain that to the readers. So that's how that sort of happened. And in that process, um, I got I, you know, I opened up a relationship with Kevin Pendergast and I happened to see he got named the head scout for Hockey Canada and I happened to pump into him not long after he was named, I said, Hey, Kevin, you know, I have some, like I'm out and about watching the kids anyway and scouting. Um, you know, I said, would you mind if like, I just, you hadn't, could I write reports for you? Cause I'm going to be out there anyway. And I could, you know, I could really use your feedback. I, I use that opportunity so that I get feedback from him so I could improve my scouting. Right. Cause he's a long time scout, you know, he's run departments. Um, and he said, sure. So like, I didn't get paid a lot of the stuff, like, St. Louis Blue stuff, I didn't get paid. I did that like free. I did the Hockey Canada stuff, didn't get paid because it was just a learning opportunity. Like how often do you get an opportunity to learn, right? To have somebody there help mentor you along. So like Kevin was great to me and I'd send him my reports and he'd like, he 
send me back feedback and he'd say, no, this stuff is really good. And like, you know, so I was very fortunate. So it was just an opportunity to work for, do some stuff for Kevin Pendergast. So I was lucky. Yeah. Another, another feather in your cap, you know, hockey Canada is never a, a bad organization to have on a resume. And, um, you know, like you said earlier about just getting in the rinks and putting yourself out there, uh, it just kind of goes to show how the industry, especially the scouting industry is, you know, you learn so much just from the conversations that are, uh, you know, informal and just kind of talking about the game and, and seeing things in between intermissions. And uh, it really is a great place to learn. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I was fortunate. Um, you know, I, I had some really good advice early is, hey, look, remember that this is their livelihood. They have families. Scouts have families to take care of. So when they say, you know, off the record, it's off the record. Like you, you have to keep it off the record. So when I lived in Vancouver, I'll tell you a quick story. I used to sit with um, a couple of really good, great scouts. Um, Glenn Dirk, um, who worked for the New Jersey Devils for ever, um, probably like 25, 30 years. Um, He was great. And I'd sit beside him and I'd like just sponge as much information as I could. He was, he was great to me. And we were sitting in the scouts media room in Vancouver for the Giants game. And a bunch of scouts were talking and then they realized I was at the table. They, they sort of forgot I was there. And they all kind of like got, one of them got really quiet and he looked at me. He's like, "Uh Oh, I've said too much. And you know, Glenn with his gravelly, gravelly voices. Yeah. You don't worry about him. You're fine. Don't worry. He won't say anything. Right. And that word gets around. Like they talk about like the industry and the media people all the time, right. Who you can trust and who you can't trust. Right. So they, if they say, Hey, don't say nothing they trust that person not to say something, say anything. I could write five books on things I'm not allowed to say, you know, they just, they're tucked away and they never, they're never said. So, um, but you have to earn that trust, you know, after over time, you know, you gotta, you have to be fair and empathetic. You have to understand how difficult the job is. Like I didn't, the more, you know, about scouting and the more, you know, about player evaluation and hockey operations, like the more you realize what you do, how much you don't know. Right. The more knowledge you obtain, you realize, oh, my God, I really don't know that much information, regardless of how many degrees you have, the certifications you have. You just like, um, you know, I try to wake I wake up every morning and I'm like, I'm in awe of the vastness of my own ignorance. It's like just knowing how much information is out there and how little that I know. So there you just become like it's a you're just striving to learn more every time that you, you know, you get up in the morning, just try to learn something new and hope you don't repeat the same mistakes from the past. Definitely. And a lot of times you're just looking to learn from people with experience and people have been around the game. And obviously you've been around the game for a long time and you're able to turn into a written piece called the art of scouting, which many people have heard or read. And and I read in the past, Uh, just talk about that project and, um, how it's kind of grown since uh, since releasing. Well, it, it was a project. Um, I talked to my co-host, Russ Cohen, who is now, I think he's on his 10th book. And I was interested in, said, hey, you know, I might write a book on scouting. No one's really talked about, no one talks about the scouts. Everybody thought, talks about the GMs and the coaches, but the scouts get no love whatsoever. And they've been the best to me, all the people that work in hockey operations. So I wanted to write a book about, you know, paying homage back to them. Like, what do they do? How do you do your job? Right. Because like if I would have had a manual for like to learn how to scout, that would have been awesome. Doesn't exist. So I started um, I talked to Russ and he had written a book. Um, 
a bunch of books and they said, well, do you know a, a good publisher? So you got me in touch with um, Karen Milner um, and she was really great to me at John Wiley and Sons. And I said, I, I called her and I talked to her about what I was going to do. And then I put a pitch together, um, sent it off to her and she loved it. Um, so um, I got to write the book and I wrote it in like nine months. Um, and what it is, it was, it was, paying homage back to the scouts, the guys who like go out and do that job, like thankless, sometimes thankless work, driving in bad weather, drinking awful coffee, going to the rinks. They don't make a ton of money. Like they, it, it's not really a glamorous job. It's not glamorous. You got to love the game and you got to love scouting and being at the rink to do that job. You're away from your family a lot. You're traveling a lot. Um, it's not as glamorous as maybe people on the outside think it is. Uh, I probably have done 1800 live games scouted, you know, in 20 years. So like I've been out there a lot. So my whole book, the premise was just to pay homage back and get their perspective of how they scout um, from a variety of different topics and subjects. So it was a labor of love. I'm really glad that I wrote it. Um, And it was, um, yeah. It was really fun. It was a lot of fun to write. Uh, my, my wife, who was my fiance at the time, um, had to go through that process with me. Just like there was times where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, do I even know what I'm doing here? Right. Because you're just like you're trying to like I wrote one hundred and thirty thousand words and it got cut down to, I think, around ninety, a hundred thousand. Um, but you know, if you've never done that process before, it's just, it's an arduous process and it's a labor of love because you don't really make any money unless you're an open book club, you're not making any money writing a book. So, um, but it was well worth it. I'm, I'm so happy that I did it and it was really well received amongst the, the scouts. And to me, that's what, that's the only thing that mattered to me was the scouts. Like if the scouts loved it, um, and the people in hockey operations liked it. Um, that was good enough for me. And yeah, I was fortunate. And like I had said. Brian Burke to write the forward for me. Yeah. And I had some really great people um, write the review. So I'm, as I'm looking on the back of it, it was like I had Kelly Rudy, Doug Wilson, the GM for the San Jose Sharks, Bob McKenzie, Peter Labardius, who you probably know who's awesome, and Brad Trelevin, who's now the GM in Calgary. So been very fortunate that – um, they took care of me. I've been very blessed in this industry. People have been very good to me, and sometimes I'm not sure exactly why. Yeah, it's a tremendous piece, and I guess as a follow up to that, uh, you know, you said a lot of people have, have you know said good words about it on your behalf, and it's been a topic of conversation for many. Just how many new connections did you find um, that you were able to generate after releasing that, and and how many conversations have you had over the years as a result? A ton. Um, a lot of the connections I had previously with the just in the hockey industry, but um, I think it just forged more. I just it. I think the relationships got stronger because of that. Um, you know, and they understood why I was writing the book, so I think that really helped. But there was a lot of young people trying to get into the industry who they saw my name and they go, "Oh, you wrote this book," and then we'd have conversations, and I just like try to help guide them through you know, the best way, you know, try to give them as much advice as I possibly could to help them. Like if they're super passionate, like, you know, understand you're probably gonna have to work a couple jobs and do this on the side and you're gonna have to skip, you know, take away time from your social life and all the other things you want to do. But if that's what you want to do, that's what you're going to have to do. Like I missed a lot of stuff being at games. Like I could have been out drinking beers with my buddies. And I'm like, nope, got to go to the game. 
Got to go to the Abbotsford Heat game. Need to go to, you know, the Giants game. Need to drive my car. Like in the beginning, we didn't make, I didn't make very much, very good money. And it was the choice of, you know, it was springtime. Do I drive? I can't stay. I don't have enough money for a hotel, but I have enough gas money for gas and food. And you get to eat at the rink, right? Because sometimes they, they'll feed the media. And I drive there and just sleep in my car. And then just go take a shower and, and whatnot at the rec center. Like whatever I needed to do to get to the games or the tournaments, I'd do it. So if I got to drive like three days across the country or into the United States, I'd do it. Like I just didn't, like I had to get there. I wasn't going to be willing to sit on the couch. It just like all the people that sat on the couch just didn't get anywhere. So, and you have to be seen like the scouts yeah. and the, and the uh, NHL staff, they have to see you, right. They need to see you out there working and that matters to them. Yeah. And you definitely want to be seen. And I think you're like myself, you're one of those people that if you're sitting home and you know that somebody else is at the game, like it just doesn't feel right. It's the place you learn. You, I mean, you don't get me wrong. I use video all the time and I love Instat. They're great, like new sponsor from me on my radio show. Um, They have great functions on the video and of course I use it, but you have to go to live games. You have to. Um, and like the video is a great supplement and analytics is a great supplement, but nothing replaces being at the game live. Yeah. And, and for you, you're able to continue scouting a little bit more, uh, this time going with the USHL as a scout. Um, you know, how did you transition to the league setting and just talk about the unique position of then scouting for a league? Well, it was actually like, I was looking for more opportunities to learn. Um, and because I was in Canada, um, I, didn't, I couldn't give up my other jobs um, because there'd be conflict of interest. So the USHL was, I thought, well, that might be an opportunity because I could just work as a league scout um, for their import drafts. The USHL only allow four imports per team. So I got a hold of, um, I, I knew the commissioner. So I mentioned what I'd like to do. And he said, okay, here's, um, you know, here's the name of our head scout. Um, give him a call. Um, I'll let him, let him know that you're call, getting a hold of him. And I did. Um, and I said, Hey, this is like, this is what I can do. I mean, do you have any, like, do you need somebody up in Canada? He goes, absolutely. We always need another body. So it, I sent him some copies of my scouting reports and he goes, yep, this looks great. We had a conversation for about 45 minutes and I was hired. So, um, I was very fortunate. I got to do that for a little bit. Then I got busy. I went back to school. I didn't do my commerce degree. And then when that was done, I went back to them again, um, and I worked for them um, as an import, as a, as a scout as well, again. So it was really great um, experience um, because you're looking at it from just can this player play in this league and will he be an asset to the organizations? That's really what your role was, is to evaluate players and make recommendations to the GMs in the USHL and said, hey, if you have an open spot, this guy's worth considering. You know, and then they would have video in your scouting reports. And if they had any other questions, they could call you directly. Yeah. And I think that's a, a position that a lot of people maybe don't think about as a place where you can learn or even move into a, a team setting is working with the league in a scouting capacity. You know, we've had a couple of guests who have done uh, similar situations with both the OHL and the uh, the QMJHL, but still a great opportunity to learn. And, you know, for you, definitely beneficial to, uh, to you know, get another experience under your belt, even though. Uh, you can see from from your resume that you've uh, you've been in quite a number of rinks over the years. No, it's all, look any situation. There's always an opportunity to learn, learn about processes uh, in scouting. You look at di- different evaluation tactics. 
Um, your interviewing skills are always need to be improved. Um, your research um, skills need to be improved. So it's just another opportunity and you get to learn from other people. So um, that's one of the things that, you know, anytime you have a different uh boss um you're always learning different things from them as well so i was very fortunate the ushl was really good to me yeah and then you know we're talking about different opportunities and learning uh one of the more unique positions that that we've seen on the podcast thus far is your involvement with ea sports just talk about maybe how you found that position a lot of people might even consider that a, a dream position uh from certain perspectives and um you know just briefly your experience uh working with that company Sure. I mean, it's actually, I even go back to high school. It's like, we used to play it um, in the like late eighties, nineties. Like that's like, and I always, like I said to my teacher once and my best friend, Jason always reminds me, I said, what do you want to do? I'm like, Oh man, it'd be great to work in like, like for a hockey video game. And like, they just said to me, Oh, that's unrealistic. And then like, I ended up doing that for a living. It's actually kind of amusing. And how it all came about is in uh, 1996, the draft was held in Vancouver. So um, EA Sports invited all the media at the draft to come and do a tour of their complex in Burnaby. And it's a complex. It's unbelievable. They have like outdoor basketball courts, soccer courts, like outdoor, like beach volleyball courts. It's this huge complex. Um, so we got to do this great tour. And then they brought us upstairs afterwards and um, they get, had um, catered for us and they showed us demos of the new game. and. Um, it was um, it was Andy Agostini who had been, been who was the producer at the time of, of the game. You know he he showed a demo of us, and then you know everybody went to get some food because media they love their free food. So I wandered over to Andy and I and I started talking to him. I said uh, I introduced who I who I was and what I did. So I had Hockey Prospect Radio and um, you know done some scouting, and I asked him like, who does your player ratings? He goes, well, we kind of do it internally, but but we're really looking for somebody who knows how to scout and sees a bunch of different levels of hockey. I'm like, I can do that for you. And we don't, they only did the NHL at the time. So 10 days later I was hired. Like, I'm not kidding. It happened that quickly. He goes like, I sent him some scouting reports. Uh, we had a brief conversation and 10 days later I was hired. And that was in the fall of 1990, uh, 06? 06. Yeah, 2006. So now I've been there for 15 years. So we went from the NHL and then we added the American Hockey League. Then eventually we added the CHL. So I'm the only person that does all the player ratings for the NHL, the American Hockey League and the CHL, which is roughly about just over 3000 players a year. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. Like you said, you know, you you were a kid and, and thinking about having that position and being able yeah, to do crazy. that. And, and, yeah. and people listening in the podcast, I'm sure their jaws are dropping right now, just thinking like, "What? There's actually someone that gets to do that for a career? Like, it, it really is a uh, yeah, almost fifteen real. years. I'm I'm very fortunate. Andy Agostini was my producer for a long time, and now he he actually got a, a great promotion. I'm super happy for him. He still works with the NHL game, just on a different level. And now I have um, Gern Sumal, who's my new producer. He's great. So um, I'm insulated. I never hear anything about anything about the game so if gamers get mad about player ratings i never hear about it so i'm pretty insulated i'm like a man amongst myself so very fortunate gurn does a great job of like protecting me he doesn't have to like i'm more than like if somebody has like or wants to ask a question i'm more than happy just no one really knows it's me for the most part like i, I think it's on my twitter 
you know, and obviously it would be yeah. on my LinkedIn, but I don't really like talk about it. I just go about my job um, and make sure it's as accurate as I possibly can, uh, because I know how much the game means to like I, how much that means to gamers and the fans. Like I was them and I still am them, right? There's a large part of me that's still that fan. So um, I take that part of that really seriously, making sure that it's as good as it possibly can be because I know how much time they invest in the game and it's not, and it's expensive to buy. So, and I want it to be the, as accurate as it possibly can. So I do my very best to make sure that it's great every year and that they enjoy it. Yeah, it's just, uh, like I said, it's so uh, amazing to hear that you're able to be successful in that role. And um, it just shows, again, another perspective on hockey operations. You know, everybody thinks that uh, it's simply the coach and the GM, but it's uh, there's so many different positions that even media, you know, a lot of media, especially with you, someone like yourself involved with prospects, like you have to get out to the games as well and, and have those conversations. And then with EA Sports, like there's so many different perspectives on uh, you know, what hockey operations is and how it can be applied. Well, absolutely. And that's why, you know, I went back to school as well. And um, eventually it would be great to one day work for an NHL team. Um, I'm actually doing more schooling right now. I'm just taking some more data science certificates at uh, Columbia University and then one at, uh, at RIT. So it's just a constant learning process um, from that standpoint. Um, you know, maybe you know, in the future, I'll maybe I'll do a PhD. For me, it's just about continuing learning. Um, I, you know, I'm a business. Uh, I like the business aspect of the game, but I also like, I love, a, you know, establishing and bringing the business side to hockey operations. And because ho- operations is a business, it's an as- a large aspect of business. So, and it's all the concepts and models that you would use in any other Fortune 500 company in their operations department, you would apply it to operations and hockey as well. So the sophistication of hockey operations is continuing to grow every year. So perhaps if I'm lucky one day, I'll get the opportunity to work for an NHL team one day. So um, it's always a goal. And I think that'd be super fun to do. For sure. And and like you said, there's so many ways that you can add different uh, degrees and different certifications and, and maybe specific to hockey uh, as you've had the opportunity in the past, but it could be something completely different that comes back into the game. And I think a lot of people maybe are a little bit narrow sighted um, in thinking that there's only certain things that can be applied. But the reality is, uh, you know, oh, when you can offer that multi skill set, it's so beneficial. And I, I think you're starting to see that in the hockey industry, especially in hockey operations, that uh, multiple domains like you to have somebody who's a domain expert or and domain expertise in certain things like if you simply look at um, analytics you look at uh, finance economics behavioral economics um, operations management uh, performance management um, a whole bunch of variety of different things like that um, be surprised there's a lot of different areas that you could help bring value to a hockey operations department because it's an operations department. You can't look at through um, the myopic small lens of just hockey. Like you, the best thing, actually one of the, sometimes one of the worst things that ever happened to hockey operations is the word hockey in front of it. Like you sort of get, you know, you get so transfixed with the hockey part, you forget it's actually just an operations department. Of course, they're not building a widget and it's all performance based, whether it's the players or the staff. Right. But, it's still an operations department and that's where you can take best business practices from other industries and other fortune 500 companies and sort of build that into a more, you know, precise strategy and more effective and, and more, and a, more highly efficient. 
And I think the NHL is beginning to do that um, and following in the footsteps of they look at what they've done in baseball and basketball and, and other sports. And there are some teams that are more a little bit more sophisticated and the other ones are catching up really quickly because you know, it's a billion dollar industry and multi-million dollar franchises and you just can't afford to lose money because every decision you make, it has a dollar value attached to it. Yeah, most definitely. And, uh, you know, moving into another topic here before we get into some reflective questions, uh, you do a lot of presenting on prospects on TV, radio, and also have done it in a team and league setting. Um, how much of a balancing act is it for you kind of changing the way you view a prospect in terms of just, uh, you know, are they good or are they not? And then from a team setting, is it worth the investment? Like, how do you uh, kind of work through uh, looking at it from a different perspective? Well, I think you have to look at, well, you have to look through the lens of what that, what they're looking for. So I, I collect all this information um, from a variety of different sources, and then it's just different content streams. It's the best way to use it. So I have all this information and some of the content I use for EA and some of it I use for my radio show. And, um, you know, some of it use it um, for, as say, if you're consulting with teams or an agent, which, I, you know, agencies, which I've done in the past. And so it's about understanding what their needs are and then tailoring that content to their needs. Um, and it's not about liking or disliking players. I've, I take it from a real, from a, a behavioral economic standpoint. To me, it's about the probability. I'm I, like a, a lot of my decisions ba are based on probability. What's the probability of this player playing 200 plus, if we're looking at a draft eligible player, probability of him playing 200 plus games in the NHL. And then what's the probability if he does make it, where does he play throughout that lineup? Right. So that you can, what I look at from an either an agent or a general manager, they're CEOs. And what what do CEOs do? They make decisions. So my my job, if I'm you know doing any kind of consulting or I'm talking with them, is I take all this information and I get it down into like two pages, into a briefing note. And I have more information, of course, if they need it, but it has to be you know digestible and it has to be precise so that they can read and go, okay. This is the information I need and I can make a decision from it. GMs are just like CEOs or agents. They don't have time to sift through pages and pages of information. They don't. They need to be able to look at it, understand where's the value points, and then make a decision based on that. So I take all my business academic and then my practical business experience and I use that to provide you know, value back to whomever I'm working with uh, and make it as precise as, as you possibly can from an understanding from a management perspective. And I think for people out there, being an entrepreneur is a huge skill because entrepreneurs understand risk assessment. They understand how to evaluate um, situations more effectively and they're not afraid to take risks, um, And but they understand risk. Um, and I think that's really vitally important. I'm really happy that I've done a lot of entrepreneurial work and that at my undergrad was based in entrepreneurial management because it's given me a really great perspective when I'm working with a bunch of different clientele. Yeah. Again, just a, another skill set, like you said, that's outside of the game, uh, you know, but from a first glance, yeah. but it, but it still has such a, an influence. And even in scouting, you know, it's all about managing the risk and, and that might even be, uh, tied to your early role, you know, casino work very early on, you know, there's so many different things that can play into the mindset. And, well, you and learn about, higher. right. You learn about behavior, human behavior. When you're in a casino and you understand, you start to learn about risk, risk assessment and human behavior. When it gets into one of the things that I really love is behavioral economics, right? And that's where that really applies. And that's, that's what hockey operations is. It's behavioral economics, one-on-one. -on -one. 
Um, you know, and when I go into games uh, or I'm assessing a player, I don't like or dislike players. I like it has nothing to do. I, like I take, I try to take the emotion out. And when I go in, I go, I don't want something to happen. I don't expect something to happen. I just watch what does happen and I record it because it, and I don't go back and look at my past reports on the player for that draft year. Like before I go to see him again, I don't do that because I don't want to bring any biases with me. I just want to wipe my slate clean and just go in and watch what happened that game. And at the end of towards the end of the year, that's when you start compiling all that information. Um, Then you start like building a full report and then doing scattered reports is one skill and putting in, them in a list is an entirely different skill. There's different weightings and metrics that you have to consider. You have to consider the leading leg measurements. So all of that, you take all those business um, acronyms and all those business concepts and models, and you apply that into the evaluation process and you try to be as precise as you possibly can. And then you learn from your mistakes because I have a whole bunch of skeletons in my closet. First, I had like a single closet. And then went to a double closet. Now it's a walk-in. And like, I'm just trying to jam it closed because every year you make mistakes. And I'm really interested in the mistakes I made. I don't like, if I'm, if I'm right on a player, that's great. Right. But I'm really interested and I'm voracious about understanding what I like, what happened? What did I miss? Like what information did I not have to make a more precise decision? What, did I do wrong in terms of my decision-making processes or my evaluation processes? Like, what did I get wrong? Cause I don't want to repeat mistakes. So like I actually went and built my own performance management system for myself so that I don't try to repeat mistakes like this big mass ridiculous spreadsheet. And it's crazy, but that's how I try not to make don't make mistakes on EA and then all my other work too, so that I have it year after year so that I can self-evaluate and so that I don't cut any corners. Um, and you have to in scouting. It's too hard. It's incredibly hard. Like if I told you the odds of like, you know, and I broke down all the odds, like a first round pick, first round picks making it, the percentages, it's crazy. Like I've written reports on every team's drafting development success in every round, all the regions. I can tell you who's good and who's not in every situation. And when they say, oh, how, how could these guys miss this player? It's easy <laughs> to make a mistake. Yes. Like I'd say, if I'm looking at it right now, the percentage of a 32nd overall pick to play 200 games in the NHL is 52.73%. That's it. It's almost a coin flip. Right when they wow. say, "Oh, how could you miss on a first round pick?" Well, historically, it happens all the time, almost half the time. So, you know, I have that's why I have great respect for the people that do this job. It's not easy, you know. When you have the armchair GMs or armchair scouts going off about, "Oh, they did this and they're bad and they don't know what they're doing," until you're in the room or until you actually ha- like it's your livelihood. And if you make a mistake, you have to answer for it. It's an entirely different situation. And I didn't really understand that fully until, you know, you end up working for a league or a team. And I was working for the USHL and every recommendation I made, well, that's a GM's job on the line. If I recommend it, that player, and it doesn't work out, then it's my job, right? So you better make sure that your recommendation is like, (laughs) is right, right? So there's a lot of stress in that, you know, it's your, your reputation of doing a good job. 
Yeah, for sure. I think it, it really plays into it. And, uh, you know, until you're in that room and, and, and you're kind of, your neck is on the line, uh, you know, yeah. you really shouldn't be in a position to, uh, to really judge it and, and kind of say that, Oh, whether they did it right or wrong, because at the end of the day, like you said, 50% chance, uh, you know, it's, it's anyone's guess. Well, no, and that's the thing is like, when I look at the independence of um, scouting departments out there or independent people that do that, the group that I always go back to is hockeyprospect.com. I think Mark Edwards and his group do a fantastic job. They're always at the rinks. Um, I've seen their criteria. Um, you know, it's very well thought out. Uh, they're very particular. Um, they they just they pour over games. They go to a lot of games. Um, actually, the head scout uh, for HockeyProspect.com is my co-host on my radio show. Is Brad Allen? He does a great job. Great goalie scout. Like if the NHL teams are listening, you need a goalie scout. He's your guy. Like I learned more about goalie scouting from him and a couple other guys than anybody. Um, he's great at that. I'm not a goalie scout. Like I'm not a goalie guy, right? So it's a specific skill set that you have to learn. But um, they're the people that I go to. If I have like, if I'm watching a player and I'll have conversations with them because I respect their opinions. And I think Mark Edwards does a great job there. Yeah, for sure. And and I've spoken with many people in that organization. And a lot of people like that tend to go to a place called My Hockey Resource, their platform on, on Discord. And they have people from all over the industry Sometimes it's just fans and all the way up to yeah. people in the NHL. I'm on, so. Yeah, I'm on that as well. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a great platform. So for anyone listening who'd like to get involved, be sure to check out My Hockey Resource on Twitter and Instagram. Shane, as you know, a lot of times on that platform, they talk about different resources, things that you can use to further your knowledge or just start a new conversation. So for you personally, what are some of your other resources that you look to for new ideas and, and maybe new content? Um, you know, actually, I read a lot of books. Um, and I go, I, what I do is I search for experts in other industries. So it's whether it's, um, a coach from, uh, an elite level sport, um, and, you know, performance coach, I go speak to them, um, and what they're doing and what their experiences are. Um, or, you know, somebody in, uh, most recently I've, I've been taking a lot of courses with the flow research collective. Um, so, um, if I don't know if you know, there's a book uh, pull it up by Stephen Kotler, the the rise of Superman. So he has a, a flow reach collective. It's a collective of uh, neuroscientists and sports psychologists and high performance coaches. So they do a program for um, elite athletes and executives. So I've taken the course. I'm almost done, um, and that's where I, I like. I try to touch point with all those type of people as much as I can. Different t- from different. Um, walks of life. A lot of CEOs, uh, people in the insurance industry. I use a lot of like um, actuarial science in terms of risk assessment because you try to find the like how does their expertise can it apply to what you do? So you try to take little pieces from a whole bunch of different industries. I'm an avid reader, and I know you want to like we're you know we're wondering about some of the books I've read, so I had to stack some of them up. I have like um, I always make sure that I have more books a bigger bookshelf than I do a TV set. That's my goal is have twice as many books as I do is the size of my TV. And I have a really big TV because of hockey. But, you know, I look at um, the Neo generalist um, black Swan is a book I'd recommend. Um, Nazem Nicholas Taleb. Great book. Um, Elastic. Um, Leonard um, Lenoidoff is great. Um, I mentioned the rise of Superman. Um, Predictably irrational is another book. I liked uh, talent is overrated. Uh, grit by um, Angela Duckworth. 
Um, another one is Hockey Grit Grind in Mind. Actually, Dr. Kevin Willis is a um, a guest on my radio show, regular guest. He does a great – that's a really excellent book. Uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. I don't know if you heard that one. Um, that one's really good. Uh, Proximity Principle. Um, Simon Sinek, I've read a bunch of his stuff. Eaters Eat um, – Leaders Eat Last. Um, starts with Why. I think those are, like, really important. Um, anything to do with – especially elastic thinking, critical thinking, any book that has anything to do with that, the best thing you can do, like, if you want to go into hockey ops is be a critical thinker. And an elastic thinker. Like if you can improve those skill sets, if you can take courses in it, um, anything to sort of expand that, uh, being open-minded, um, I think is really, really critically important um, because it we just we're human beings. We come with autom- we come with biases. And figuring out what your biases are is really important. And try not to to avoid you know continuing to make the same mistakes over and over again is really important. And be humble about that. You know you're. It's going to happen, right? So it's it's if it happens, it happens. But try not to repeat that mistake um, over and over again. Yeah, it's uh, it's it comes with the the nature of the job. You know, you got to be able to uh, take the hits and, and keep moving. But I like how a lot of those books and and things that you referenced there were, um, you know, again outside of the sport, more so about the critical thinking and uh, just uh, human nature and all these different aspects and. A lot of times, um, you know, I've heard others talk about that in the industry and and it's just people with more experience and people have kind of gone through the process. And a lot of times those people are considered mentors. So for you personally, who are some of those key mentors who helped you in the industry and uh, just talk about what they taught you collectively? How do, how long do we have? Honestly, <laughs> like I could spend an hour talking about all my mentors. Um Obviously, Brian Burke has been great to me. Doug Wilson, uh, GM of the San Jose Sharks. Uh, one of the nicest people you ever meet in the industry. Like a fabulous human being. The entire like um, San Jose staff is great. Um, I did a, a chapter on the player interview, and they invited me, and I got to sit in on their player interviews at the draft. So their entire staff, uh, Tim Burke, their assistant GM, Joe Will, assistant GM, has been great. Dougie Jr., who works there, is fantastic. The, the whole group of their, their scouting staff are Excellent people. Uh, Brad Trelevin uh, has been great to me too. Both um, Brad and Doug Wilson had wrote letters of reference from grad school for me. So you couldn't, I couldn't ask for more. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Patty Janelle and, and Lauren Davies in the beginning, Glenn Dirk. Um, gosh, I'd have to go through a laundry list of guys. Craig Button was great to me in the beginning. I actually wrote it down in my book because it was so crazy how many people have helped me out like it was i I have to go to the list and i I won't i won't make sure that i go through them all but go through some guys like mike barnett um tim bernhardt craig billington billard's one of the funniest people ever um scott bradley um todd button craig's brother paul castron gordy clark gordy clark's a great great guy too glenn cochran marcel como um david conte jeff crisp brad davies Craig Dimitrick, Rick Dudley, Rick Dudley, super smart. He is not old school. That guy's about as progressive as you can get. Um, uh, John Ferguson Jr., Cliff Fletcher, Emil Francis, Pat Funk, Mike Fuda, who I hope gets a GM job one day. Um, he really deserves it. Ernie Gare, who actually, funny enough, Ernie Gare was a, a, a scout for the New York Rangers and was a, um, a teacher, a part-time teacher in the high school that I went to. So he was actually like, a substitute teacher for me 
when I was in my high school and ended up being a scout. Like it's great. And I was at his hockey school. Uh, Lawrence Gilman, uh, both Dan and Aaron Janelle, Keith Gretzky, Jeff Gordon, Jeff Hammett. Uh, Bruce Harrelson was a pro scout long time for Detroit was great to me. Um, you know, Paul Henry, um, long time scout, really smart man. Um, he was great to me too. There's like a long list. Von Carpen, you know, Yarmo, Kekalainen. Um, one guy I like, you know, there's a couple guys I would mention. Um, Marshall Johnson, he's now retired. He worked for the Carolina Hurricanes for a long time, was a GM in the league, had done every job pretty much in the entire of hockey operations. Um, he's the one person that I heard, like you talk about, um, like in football, you look at Bill Belichick and his legacy and all the people that work for him that are now GMs or assistant GMs or head coaches. That was Marshall Johnson. Like if you look at Marshall Johnson's legacy of people that he, that underneath him are now GMs or assistant GMs or like have gone on to like run departments. It's a, it's, it's crazy. The list is crazy. Jim Nell, like um, Tim Burke. Um, Trevor Timmons, it goes on and on. Um, Rick Dudley, Rick Dudley told me, he said, I don't trust the only person I would trust to sign a player or draft a player unseen is if Marshall Johnson told me. What does that say? You know, Rick Dudley, he drives to games on purpose. We'll see over 200 games a year easily. And he goes, Marshall's the only person I trust, which is why I hope one day the Hockey Hall of Fame has a separate introduction just for scouts. Like for the hockey operations people, definitely, because there's people that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, and I, there was a whole chapter I actually did in my book, in my book, The Art of Scouting, on scouting mentors. So I talked to people like, who was your mentor, right? Because they were my mentor, right? These are these people are my mentors. Um, you know, Shane Turner, who's a scout for the Dallas Stars, is one of my favorite people. He's a mentor of mine. I talk to him as much as I can. Uh, Les Jackson, who's now with the Florida Panthers. Awesome. Um, Mark Yannetti, who I think is one of the smartest guys in hockey operations, works for the LA Kings. He should be a GM one day. Um, so I'm, I'm honestly, Ryan, I'm, I'm so ridiculously fortunate. Like, I don't know why these people help keep helping me, but they keep doing it. So I'm happy. So I, that's why to me, as I pay it forward, if I have young scouts coming, like they want to get in the industry, I will like, I'll spend as much time as I possibly can, like helping them out. Um, and try to help them point them in the right direction. I'm more than happy to do it. You know, if you love it, it's your passion, go do it. Just, you know, it's going to be a grind sometimes. It's going to be a grind. Like have the mentality of that fourth line center because it's not a sexy job, hockey operations. You start off or in the media, you don't make very much money. Um, you're away from your friends. You're away from your family. You're at games. It's the middle of winter, cold. Like, why am I here? Right. But if you love it, you keep going, you know, you just, you just keep going. And I love it. Like um, I was at a game and my wife was at a party and I was going to show up afterwards. And they said, some of the ladies that were saying were like, how, like, how do you handle that? Like get him to do a different job. And my wife, Tanya said, I can't do that to him. I can't do that. He loves it. Like I, like he'd be walking around the house miserable. Can't do that. I can't, I can't have that. So off he goes to the game and he comes home happy. So that's, that's it. So I'm lucky. Um, lucky to have a great wife who's, you know, super supportive. Um, so I've been pretty fortunate in this career. I managed to like hang in there for 22 years. They haven't found a way to kill me yet. 
Yeah, the uh, at the end of the day, the passion will fuel everything. And when you have the support system at home and and a number of tremendous people in the industry willing to help you, it's yeah. uh, it's a recipe for success for one, sure. Like one of the big the the one of the big things that really helped me was Russ Cohen, my co-host on Hockey Prospect Radio forever, uh, one of my best friends in the world. Like he's been super supportive. Um, you know, he's like the guy's a rock star. Um, and one of the, like one of the nicest people you ever meet. So I'm really fortunate for that. And Joe Thistle giving me the, giving us the opportunity at XM to like host our show. And I don't think he realized we didn't know what we were doing, but thanks Joe anyway, right. You know, so, um, we just sort of threw it together and we've hung in there for like 16 years. And I host the draft every year from the draft floor on XM. It's crazy. Like, how did I get here? Like every year, I'm like, how did I get here? They keep yeah. letting me in the door. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a wild ride. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, uh, you know, it, it's a tremendous story. And I think there's a lot of great lessons there. And uh, it just goes to show you've been very fortunate, but also the hard work has been put in there from day one. So Shane, I just want to thank you once again for accepting the invitation and, and jumping on the the podcast here. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you very much, Ryan. It was a pleasure and honor to come on the podcast. I, I hope um, you have continued success. It was, it's a great idea. I, I love what you do. All right. I really appreciate that. Take care. Take care. Support for the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Big news, Manscaped just launched in Canada, and for those listeners in Canada, and I know there's a lot of you, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. Everybody has had that experience where the trimming has not gone right, and we want to change that. So get with Manscaped, who has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and when I tell you this is premium, this is premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave, and the waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. Throw in one of the coolest features, which is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming experience. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quad stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. And if you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HockeyMinds at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code HockeyMinds. It's time to shave those balls, eh? I'd like to again thank Shane for coming on the podcast and providing some tremendous insight throughout the interview. His passion for the game and scouting specifically were front and center from start to finish, and I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of the conversation. If you would like to get in touch with Shane to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Tune in on this upcoming Sunday as we continue to push out interviews and share the amazing stories of those within the game of hockey and the world of hockey operations. 
And thanks again to everyone for listening to the podcast and for following us on all of our social media platforms. We hope to continue to share the stories of those within the game and bring new perspectives and insight to the listeners with guests coming from different leagues, levels, and backgrounds. As always, stay safe and all the best.